Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road podcast. Today, we welcome on Anders Wallström from the Swedish Ice Hockey Federation. Henrik, it was really exciting to, to talk to Anders today. We had Anders Lundberg back a couple weeks ago to talk about the, the federation overall and, and hockey in Sweden. And now it's interesting to get into it with Anders Wallström about the home floor model that they're starting to implement as well as the the game format study and the changes they're they're making to the way that youth hockey is played in Sweden. Uh, it was it was really interesting and I really liked how he mentioned it in the episode but you know they, they wanted to stop guessing they wanted to to do a study and find out what is actually best for for their young players and I think it's really powerful and uh, hopefully it, the implementation works out and I'm uh, excited to follow up with him on it. Yeah, I hope also that we have the opportunity to follow up with him in the future and then maybe see how the first year has been. Uh, I think it would be a very exciting opportunity and just the possibility to speak with Anders about the home floor model and the um, smaller game study was just uh, a really great one. And I just found it so fascinating that Anders, he was all the time ready to answer our questions. He is very, very wise person, very science-driven. And what I liked so much about the conversation for me was always explained to why this study is actually so beneficial to the player's development if they play in a certain age, uh, small air games in this format and the home floor model. I don't want to go too deep into deep to it, but it's a very, it's a, it's a very useful thing. And I think, I hope that everyone can take something away from it and can implement implement it in his or her own coaching. And yeah, let's kick it over to Anders. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Coaches Road podcast. Today, we are joined by Anders Wallström. First of all, Anders, thanks a lot for taking the time and joining us today. How are you doing today and how is everything going in Stockholm? Uh, thank you for having me. Um, everything's fine here. Um, I'm right now at the office. Uh, told to be here 50-50, uh, two or three days at the office and two three days at home during the weeks. So um, try to have a lot of meetings while we're, while we're here um, and do the writing bits of the the job and the work at, at home but i'm fine i mean people and, and me and myself i mean we're getting used to the situation so this is how we have it right now so we just need to accept that yeah yeah for sure and you know we wanted to to start right away i i got this question from a, a friend of mine who who just asked us from from someone that that they look up to in, in kind of the hockey world and so I wanted to start with this and, you know, what is the, the best thing that you have learned recently and then how are you going to use it in, in your job? That, that is a good question. Um, um, my answer to that one is that we have, uh, we had a meeting last week with a research network uh, that we have uh, when it comes to sports psychology and, and coaching. And maybe it wasn't so much the content that we talked about in that meeting, but, but just the fact that we have a research network uh, with experts uh, who we can rely on, that they're doing the best they can to, to provide us with, with good information and good thoughts. Um, 
for me, the, 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 the learning part was that I need to be quite humble due, due to my, my own competence and what, what I and what we know at the Federation. I mean, we're not experts, we're generalists, and, and we should be really, really good at that. Um, but just to, to, to ask a question to the researchers and scientists out there, I mean, we haven't got a, a no, we won't collaborate with you from anyone. I mean, no matter how, who we ask, they are willing to uh, work with us and help us out. So, so that's my answer to this question. I mean, I mean don't dare to, to ask people that are really, really good at their field to, to help out. Uh, you don't need to know and um, have the knowledge by yourself all the time. I think a lot of federations especially are kind of um, blind to, to uh, what happens in the, the, the surrounding world and, and at the research area. Uh, so, so I think we, should, we could really, really benefit from, from uh, reaching out a hand and uh, ask for help sometimes. Yeah, it would be definitely very interesting to see if you get a, a good amount of people around the table and you have a good discussion about various of topics uh, regarding to coaching and pedagogy and psychology. So I think it's a very interesting answer. Thanks for sharing this. And you are the children and youth manager for the Swedish Ice Hockey Association. Could you please describe a little bit about what that entails and how you got that position? Yeah, I can do that. Uh, the way I got the position was that I um, was a manager of uh, child and youth sports at the Swedish Sports Confederation uh, for almost 10 years. <clears throat> and in that position, I worked towards uh, uh, almost every federation in, in Swedish sports. I mean, in Sweden, we had 22, uh, 72 different sports uh, federations. Uh, and through that work, I, I uh, kind of saw what needed to be done in Swedish sports overall. And, and I worked with the Swedish Ice Hockey Associations a few times and, and helped them out with, with a little bit uh, different things. And, and then for, for uh, three and a half years ago, they, they asked me if I wanted to, to uh, have this position um, and, and work with them. Uh, and, and here I am now. Um, been here since February 2018. Um, and what I do is, I mean, my title is Manager of Child and Youth Ice Hockey, but uh, what I actually do is that I kind of manage our development prog programs, the projects when it comes to what what we do be, be behind the curtain, so to speak, uh, how we develop our coach education, how we develop our, our game formats, how we develop our recruiting um, activities, how we develop our recreational hockey, um, how we develop the way we get to, to we need to get the, the, the girls' hockey uh, grow. Um, and then we have other guys who are actually out there doing the activities. Uh, so that's um, basically what I do. I, I have a picture with kind of um, a complex uh, visual picture of, of all the, the structures that have effect on good quality to child and youth ice hockey. So I, I sometimes say that I, what I do at work is to, to look for, um, oh, what's that word in English? Um, kind of uh, where the system doesn't uh, be in line, uh, where we have counterproduct 
activity in the system. Uh, for example, we, we changed the name on our uh, junior uh, leagues from, from elite to, to just talk about national, just to, to send the right signals. So sometimes it's really small, small things, and sometimes it's big, really, really big structural changes like the whole coaching education. Uh, so that's basically what, what I do. Yeah, that sounds um, like a, an interesting job with a lot of different with a lot of different pieces. So, you know, one of these projects that you mentioned that we we heard about from Anders Lundberg uh, was this was this home floor model that you guys kind of recently implemented. So, can you describe that a little bit and and why you guys made that change towards the home floor model? Yeah, uh, the, the Hemmaplans model in, in Swedish is is. Uh, the name is all about that we want all our clubs to really, really take care of, of their own uh, home environment so that the players and the coaches and the board members that are in that club really, really have a, a safe and, and a nice time while, while they're, they are there um, so that they, at the end of the day, can, can perform at their best. Uh, the, the, the background, the history behind it is that we have a, a board or, or a, uh, uh, annual meeting decision that we, we, we had to take the next step to, and, and develop our model how, on how we uh, develop players, actually. Uh, so, so we collaborated with, with a lot of researchers, Sean Coutier in, in Canada, P.G. Falstrom here in Sweden, uh, Amanda Visek in, in USA, um, for example, and we, we needed, we wanted to come up with a developmental model that we could use both when it comes to, when it comes to player development, club development, um, uh, coach development. Uh, so so the, the home field model of Hermaplans Modellen is kind of a platform from which we uh, work with all, all our different um, development pr projects, so, so, so to speak. So, so that was, was that's the background. So, so, what we really, really want with that, as I said, is to make sure or actually contribute at least to to uh, to the clubs to get a better environment and, and at the end of the day, get, get more players that stay longer. And, and for those who have the ambition, uh, gets the possibility to be the, their best <laughs> uh, when they are at that age. So, so it's all about better hockey, actually. Uh, better players, better coaches, better clubs. Uh, I mean, we talk a lot about in Sweden that our uh, one of our big benefits uh, compared to USA and Russia and Canada is that we are quite small. I mean, we, we have just a little bit over 300 clubs in Sweden. Uh, so, so we can quite easily reach out to, to all of them uh, almost at the same time and, and um, help them out to, to, to develop their uh, development system or their environment. So, so we, we needed to have something that actually pointed the, the direction on, on towards where we will go with the, the whole Swedish hockey. When we were like preparing for this episode, we 
found this model very interesting and we're very happy that we have the opportunity to speak about it and the information you have been providing with us right now they sound very interesting and on your home page on the hockey on the swedish ice hockey association webpage we found these four principles so could you please describe shortly to us the four principles and what these should mean to a coach and how is he actually applying these in the club but also with his team yeah uh, the first one is about to have a, a human center approach um, uh, The, the, the discussion behind that was that we felt that we talked a little bit too much about the, the hockey player and wasn't good enough to see the, the human being behind the player. Uh, a lot of focus was what, what they did, uh, how they behaved inside the ring. Um, in, in a dialogue with especially Sean Coutier, we, we landed that we need to... Uh, help the clubs and the coaches to, to see the whole person uh, in order to, to, to make them feel safe, feel well uh, as a ground stone or what you should call it to, to, uh, to be able to perform at the best. Uh, so, so when it comes to the coaching and the leadership, it, it's a lot about uh, how they Uh, behave. We talk a lot about the, the transformational coaching theory, uh, and, and we have a, a really, really big uh, behavioral focus. Uh, so now when we're developing our uh, coach education, we're going to focus a lot on the, uh, the coach be coaching behavior, uh, not only in, 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 in practice in game situations, but the whole 360 degrees situation that they are when they are coaches around the players. They need to understand that they have to do with, with, with humans and people. And we know from research that coaches that uh, people talk about when, when they are grown-ups or adults uh, and looking back uh, to their uh, time with, when they were active hockey players, they aren't the coaches that, that have the, the best slap shot or the, the best technique hockey-wise. It is the coaches that made them fall in love with hockey, that made them... Uh, that made them felt that they were seen and, and meant something to the team. Those kind of coaches seems to have a bigger impact on uh, both the player's interest and the player's um, uh, road to success. So, so that's basically uh, the first principle. We, it's a lot about coaching and, and leadership and to be aware that they are people and people are different from each other. Yeah, can you go into the the other principles a little bit as well and, and kind of um, maybe briefly discuss what, what those are and, and kind of the idea behind yeah. them as well? Exactly. The second principle is, to, is called to give everyone a chance to develop, uh, no matter on uh, their ambition level or the skill level for, for, for the moment. Uh, and that's probably the hardest part uh, when it comes to, to, to sports in general and hockey especially. Maybe we have this logic that uh, with increasing age, you should get more and more result focused. Uh, you're going to practice and, and uh, play more games. It's going to take more time. And if you're not good enough at a certain level, it's not a guarantee that you are, uh, can, can get the possibility to, to continue playing. Uh, so, so, and that's that's kind of the, the logic that we have. I mean, a lot of clubs 
um, bring in a lot of kids, but at the end of the day, they have, have one uh, team when it comes to the, the adult level. So, so we have this pyramidical, uh, what you should call it, uh, model. Uh, so with all we know from talent development and club development, we need to, to get the coaches and the clubs to, to understand that don't race to the wrong finish line. I mean, we have uh, David Puckin in Sweden with his district tournament for, for 15 years old that seems to be really, really important for, for a lot of coaches, a lot of parents, a lot of players. Um, so they, they run very, very hard for that. Then we have our hockey gymnasiums that are the next level, and then we have our younger national teams, and then we have uh, the NHL draft, and then we have uh, all of the stages uh, when you're quite young. And you're chasing, chasing those. Uh, at the same time, we know that we have um, middle age when it comes to playing in the SHL at, at 25 years old, uh, or 27 years old, sorry. Uh, we have a middle age at our latest Olympics men's team that was, was 29.8 years old. So, so we don't need to hurry that much. I mean, we need to... Uh, development, uh, develop the, the players. Uh, we need to get the clubs to understand that all the way up to the adult level, it's, it's actually a lot about motivation. It's a lot about develop and educate players. Uh, the, the result must be uh, in the second place. Uh, the, the, the development of the players must be uh, the most important things. So that's actually what the, the second principle is about, to, to, to uh, don't go in those traps with identifying talents too early, uh, but look at everyone as a presentive talent. The, the third one is about uh, appropriate settings uh, when it comes to uh, uh, games and, when, and, and, and practice as well. Um, I mean, they are not many adults. Uh, they are children, they are youth, um, and we need to understand that. Uh, so, so we we can't have the same way of, of playing hockey, the same way of practicing hockey um, at the younger level uh, that we have at the adult or senior elite level. Uh, so, so probably that's the principle that going to get most attention when it comes to, to the changes that we're doing, because it's so, so obvious that we're playing on, on smaller surfaces and don't have standings and don't have uh, individual stat stats at the, the youngest level. Um, so, so that we need to work quite hard with the coaches just to, to let them understand that they have another role in the coaching situation that an elite coach have. Uh, the, the, the results uh, aren't that important. Uh, they need to, to really, really focus on, on the, the development in the long run for the teams and the players. Um, but it's really, really hard for them to, to, to not get stuck in that logic of uh, winning. Uh, and that's the most important thing. Uh, so we, we tell them, I mean, the players should try to win and do the best at every action on the ice. But, but you as a coach, you need to have a different perspective when you, when you work with them. You, you can't be trapped chasing results or, or trophies. But that's not that easy. Um, the, the fourth principle is about to, to make sure that the players get an, uh, a practice that are um, 
a big variety. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure how we should call that in, in English, but you need, to, I don't know if you, you guys have a better word for it. Um, I'll see the training, um, variety in, in, in training qualities. Uh, that can be done with, with multidisciplinary sports. Uh, you can, can do that. But we can see in Sweden that we have a lot of players that only play ice hockey. And for them, we also need to make sure that they get a variety in how they practice and build up their, their body. Uh, so we work with, with the Dean Krilars a lot at the University of Manitoba, who are a guru when it comes to physical literacy. Um, and he helped us out to, to provide um, meaningful exercises when it comes to, to the youngest, so, so to make sure that they have a, a big variety of, of movement skills in their backpack while they grow up. Um, so, so with those four, uh, human being center approach, uh, get everyone the chance to develop uh, appropriate settings when it comes to, to games and, and practice. And the fourth one is about variety in, in physical training. Um, and if we can get all our clubs and all our coaches to, 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 to have those four for the eyes when they make decisions and when, when they plan their coming season, I think it's going to slowly, slowly make big changes at the end. Uh, if we can get every individual <laughs> engaged in Swedish hockey to, to, to make a little better decisions in, in the right direction, I think it's going to mean a lot to the end. Yeah, so, you know, it, it is quite recent, but how has it been received by the, the community so far? And you mentioned specifically that the third one, uh, the appropriate settings one probably being the most talked about. So how, is, how have they been received by the community so far? Um, quite well. I mean, Sweden, we, we have 22 different districts. Um, we, we, we made a tour last, um, actually during the, the last fall and, and winter, and it stopped in, in March when the coronavirus came. But we visited all of our 22 districts and the, the, the district federation, uh, together with the, the elite club in the district, they uh, hosted a workshop uh, where they invited uh, all the clubs uh, in that area. They had to come with, with three board members uh, and we met them and, and talked about the, the home field model and, and why we have it and, and what it is. Uh, and I, from, from that point of view, in those meetings, it was really, really well uh, welcomed. Uh, they, they were happy that we from the Swedish Ice Hockey Association, Association pointed the direction. And, and we have started up a, a collaboration with the Swedish Confederation and their districts uh, who are out there to help all the clubs with, uh, to process their club development journey. Uh, so we have people out there who actually can visit all our clubs and, and help them uh, with workshops uh, from, from every club's unique standpoint. Uh, so so the, the whole kind of platform is, is um, really, really well welcomed out there. Um, when it comes to small-sided games, we have uh, seven of those 22 are pilot districts this upcoming season. And we work very, very closely with them right now um, to, to provide them with uh, the rules and regulations that we have um, made up and, and the game instructions, how they will uh, host these kind of events. And we have uh, dividers like, like boards, uh, ring dividers, maybe you should call it in English, uh, that we have out there. Um, 
But of course, we have people out there that are saying, hey, this is not real hockey. Uh, stop experimenting with our kids. Um, but the answer to that is, hey, maybe that's what we've done for several years. Uh, now we're actually looking into to doing it better for, for kids. So we kind of tried to hijack the, the, the term real hockey. And in a lot of our communication is to, to explain to the parents and the coaches that, hey, finally, we're playing real hockey for, for kids. Uh, this is a way that they should play to, to uh, get a be better uh, development environment, actually. Um, but I, I, I think I missed to answer one thing that you asked about earlier. That's why we had that uh, development model. I, I said that was an annual meeting decision. Uh, but we can also see when we look at the stats, when it comes to, to the population growth, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the, the, the teenagers, I mean, we, we're not increasing the numbers in Sweden. I mean, we're quite good at the draft picks and the, the, the championship at the senior elite level. But when it comes to, to population growth, it's not increasing. It's, it's slowly, slowly decreasing over time. And so that was also a big, uh, a big thing for us when, when we looked into those numbers and, and could could just uh, obviously see that we would need to do something different. Uh, we can't just keep on going the, the way we have done for the past. Uh, if we will be world leading in, in 10, 15 years, we need to do something different now. Uh, I mean, the other countries aren't, aren't sitting still doing nothing. Uh, so, so we think that if we can get better club environments uh, who can be better to develop players, that will mean a lot to us at the end of the day. Um, so that the players also can, can feel kind of confident that they can stay in their home club one or two years more uh, than they have done recently. I mean, a lot of players or parents, maybe it is, uh, seems to believe that they need to, to change to another club when they're quite young uh, and, and searching for a better environment. Um, so, so if we can get all the clubs to, to step up and it'll be a little bit better, maybe we can uh, get a little bit uh, more, less stress in the, in the system, so to speak. Yeah, you mentioned already, um the small-sided games and that they have been perceived a little bit different. Some of them have been perceiving them positively. Some of them say that this is not real hockey, but you, with the small-sided game you have been creating now, you, you try to make it age-appropriated. And for us, it's uh, a very lucky opportunity that we had the opportunity to read about these game formats for youth hockey, the study you have been doing together with FIHA. Yeah. Uh, what was the motivation behind the study? Oh, the, the biggest part was that we, we could see when we looked into our 22 different districts uh, that we actually played um, five on five, five on, on full rink with a, a difference of, of three years. I mean, the first district started to play five on five full rink when we were nine years old, and the, uh, some districts did it, didn't do that do that until they were 12. Uh, so. When, once we have the home field model at place, we saw that, I mean, if we should provide kind of a 
uh, a high quality player development that looks all, almost the same all over the country. We need to do something when it comes to the game formats. I mean, the districts that they played small sided games, but they played on half ice or maxi rink or five on five or four on four or three on three. It was a, a huge mess, if I should speak clearly. Uh, they, they, they did what they felt was good, what they, they thought was were good, but they were guessing. Uh, they didn't know what, what, what are the best ways to, uh, to play if we will develop players. So, so we did all these uh, measurements where we put GPS on the players and we had uh, pulse meters on them and we, we uh, counted all the actions. Uh, so we did those meetings during last fall and then the last winter. And we got a, a huge amount of data. And as you said, we did it together with FIA and, and, and Kala there. Uh, we measured some, some different surfaces and different, um, how many players we had on the ice. But when we look into those data, I, I mean, we, we can clearly see, and that's logic. I mean, we can see that if you get a, a, a small surface and, and fewer players uh, and still have one pack, <laughs> the, all the players' action numbers are going up. And we know that to be involved in the game, to, to have more actions, uh, are important to to, uh, to to feel that the, the game is fun. It's fun to play hockey. Uh, so, so that's one of the things behind it, that we, we wanted to make sure that all the players were more involved in the game. And hopefully it will mean that they will stay longer in the game as well. Uh, uh, and of course, we, we can't just look at the hard data. We also need to kind of look how, how it works uh, when we look at the game. And, and uh, we believe where we are at right now it seems to work quite well. Uh, and hopefully the players uh, also like it. Um, but we have a journey to do uh, this coming season. When we have the seven pilots districts, we're going to really, really work hard with the evaluation of it. Uh, going to talk to the, the coaches, going to talk to the kids and youth, of course, how they like it and what they see are the, the big challenges within this. Uh, but I think that we are onto something really, really uh, good here. Um, I mean, we choose to, to play three on three all the way up to U12, uh, that for us in Sweden are 11 years old. Um, because one of the, the most interesting things that we saw uh, when we did these measurements was that once you put in a fourth player and he or she isn't at the same skill level, uh, that player were, were totally isolated and the, the, the action numbers dropped dramatically. Uh, we had some games that we, that we measured that, that that player actually weren't involved at all. Uh, and from what we know of fun then, we, we, we can't say that that player are going to develop uh, or having fun. Uh, but when the same player played three on three, uh, even though the skill level differed a lot, he or she involved in the game and, and needed to to be a part of it because uh, you have this, this triangle um, depth and width uh, that, that you need to provide. Uh, and he or she had a lot of a lot more actions that were almost at the same level as the more skilled players. So, so that's actually why we right now are recommending to play three on three up till uh, U12 then. on different areas, of course.
Yeah, yeah. So a little bit about those areas. What what are the actual um, game formats that you guys are, are testing out this year? From I think it started at um, U nine was the first change, and then moving yeah, up to U twelve. Yeah, from U nine. Uh, when it comes to to, to U nine, we play on on if we talk talk about European sized drinks, uh, we play one six part. Uh, I think it's. 15 times 20 meters. Uh, so so while, while they are playing, we can have four games going on at the same time, three on three in, in uh, one six of the, the, the ring. Uh, from U10, they play one fourth. And at U12, they play one third of the full ring. Uh, and three on three in all those uh, levels. Yeah. So a follow-up to that, you know, you mentioned it briefly earlier, like the the complaints that, you know, this isn't real hockey. So, you know, in, in your yeah. mind or in kind of the, the association's mind, when when does hockey stop being real hockey? And how have you hijacked that term, like you mentioned? Yeah, that's that's probably the best question that you, you can ask if association or federation. I think that's uh, a genius question. Um, I think as long as you have skates on and that you are on a rink uh, and have a stick and a puck involved, uh, and that, that the aim is to to to, to score goals and, and uh, trying to trying to win the game, uh, it's it's hockey. Um, but I th just as apparently, I think that question should be asked to to, to all federations in every country because uh, you need to to have that answered clear for yourself in order to, to know how much you can develop. Uh, so so uh, uh, I think, as I said, as long as you are um, having puck and a stick and, and skates um, and trying to score and, and trying to, to win games, I think it's hockey. Then if you play two and two or three and three or five and five or 10 versus 10, I mean, we should do that. What develop players the, the best? Uh, at the end of the day, they're going to play five and five full rank. Uh, but that that they that are at the senior level when they are fully developed. Uh, up until then, we we need to do all that are in our kind of in all our power, what you should call it, to to, to make sure that we develop players in most most appropriate way. If we, if we think about, first of all, thanks for your answer. It was, uh, it's, it's very interesting because if we think about what you said, that playing two versus two uh, for under 10s is maybe more beneficial than playing five against five. And I think we both had a look at the study and has been showing clearly. And we wanted to ask you, how actually the Swedish Ice Hockey Association implemented the structure both politically and practically? Mm -hmm. I think the, the first thing that we made quite clear uh, for all our members was that we believe in that the coaches are going to coach the system uh, no matter how it looks. I mean, if we have talked in, in so many years about the the, the positive effects of small-sided games, but we haven't changed it when it comes to, to, to the game formats. 
and we have told them to do that at practice. Um, but as long as we have played five on five full rink or four on four maxi rink, uh, the coaches have prepared them to, to perform at that kind of games. So now when we make the change uh, in the game structure, uh, I think we, we will see that the coaches, when it comes to how they uh, practice with the kids, what drills they, they, they choose and everything are going to, to be more, um, they're going to aim more at what we want them to do. Uh, so that was an important thing to, to, to get some kind of understanding around in the whole, amongst all our members actually. Then we, we had, as, as, as I said, we had the home field model that we were, um, made a decision at the, the last annual meeting with all our federations and all our elite clubs. Um, in Sweden, the, the districts have 80% of the votes and the, the elite clubs have 20% of the votes and they, they fully agreed that we should have the, the, um, the home field model. And one of the principles, as we talked about earlier, is that we ha will have appropriate settings. So, so already there, we have we had uh, a decision on uh, that we should have uh, small-sided games. So, so after that, we needed to 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 find out how, and uh, that's when we started to, to do all, doing all those measurements and all those studies. And we have worked quite closely with the districts. We have had them in Stockholm at big conferences, uh, showing up the data. Uh, trying to to, to uh, get them to, to understand uh, why it's so important. Um, so we have we have worked closely with our um, districts and the, our board members, uh, who actually are the ones who, who uh, got to make the the, the the formal decisions about this. Um, and now in the upcoming annual meeting in, in June 2021, we, we hopefully will we get a decision, decision that uh, these game formats that we're now trying are going to be uh, uh, yeah, national game formats, actually, that's going to be produced in, in all our districts. Uh, of course, if we see that we can, can, can do it even better with some small changes, we, we can do that. But it, it's not—it's it's not going to be up to to every district uh, how how they were going to play. We're going to have to do with the same all over the country. And and um, my feeling right now is that they they uh, they understand why that's important from a play development perspective. So Anders, we already touched on that a little bit. What you have been saying that well sometimes is that there's the misinterpretation of what actually what hockey actually um is about and what actually hockey is and you have been saying in our conversation you need a puck you need a stick and you maybe need two nets and then you can um then you can play hockey so what are some ways to get the parents and coaches that watch five versus five professional hockey to realize that it's not the best for their 11 year old kids uh, i think the important part is uh, communication and education uh, so we're, for, for our seven pilot districts now, we have provided them with a, a communication kit, uh, folders that they can have, hand out to the player, through, through the parents, uh, that explains why. We have posters in the, the, uh, at all the facilities when they're going to play these kind of games. Uh, that shows the data from, from our studies and some explanation why we have chosen this way. Um, 
we have uh, gatherings with, with the clubs when we explain this. Um, we have uh, we have worked with our rule book. I mean, we have taken it down from 253 rules to seven uh, to make it more easy. Uh, and that's what we also show and talk about when we when we're out there. Uh, so, so it's a lot about to making sure that they understand why why this is better uh, and why we do this. And once they understand that, I mean, it's obvious what we're trying to do and, and how we do it. Uh, but if we, if we miss on the why, it's going to be it's going to be hard and, and just seem crazy. So we need to put a lot of time. In, in education and communication towards all our aim groups, especially I think the, the the parents and some of the coaches. Um, but once they're educated, it seems like they are more um, willing to 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 uh, understand and work towards this. Yeah. So so shifting a little bit towards kind of practices and then small area game formats and 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 there so you know this is always a, a curious question for me but why does eliminating the size and, and decreasing the number of players why does that increase the opportunities for involvement from players and and how how do you want to encourage coaches to kind of manipulate that um, in practices um i, I think I mean, when, as I said, uh, we, we believe strongly that the coaches are going to coach the system no matter what. Uh, so, so if we can, can put up a, a system that are more beneficial for the player development than others, I think that's going to uh, contribute to, to how the coaches behave at, at the practice. Um, I mean, probably they're going to not have as many isolated skill drills that they have in some, some places in Sweden still. Uh, and, and play more, uh, play to learn a little bit more. Uh, uh, that's that's one difference I think we can we'll see in the future. Um, but also, as I said, I think if we look at the second principle to get everyone the chance to develop, once you play three on three, uh, you haven't an offense or defense role. I mean, all the three players need to be good at both, uh, so, so they have to have, have to develop that. Uh, I got an email the other day from a, a parent out there who actually asked me if the coaches could force uh, a 12-year-old to, to play play D uh, since he had played centerman for uh, several years. Uh, and for me, if if he were used to that, it wouldn't be such a big deal. Uh, and and it, the parent wouldn't have reacted as he did uh, at that choice that the, the the coach did. So I think if you can. In, in in the whole player development process, you, you need to, to be good at both, in both ways, actually. So I think that's an, another benef benefit that we're going to see. They're going to have players who are more used to be both offense and defense um, players. Uh, so hopefully they will rotate more even when they get up uh, at U13 and 14 when they're actually going to play 5 and 5. Um, the one thing that we are talking a lot about now is if there are a risk that the the, the, the skating development will will, uh, will decrease or will, will have um, 
that we're having a challenge when it comes to that. So our recommendations when it comes to practice uh, is that for, for the longer, longer skating rounds, I mean, the, the, we need to probably do more of that during practice uh, since we aren't getting that uh, done so much in the game. But on the other hand, while we look at the, the, the technical uh, parts of, of skating, uh, I mean, they're, they're going to do more of that. Uh, a bit here, uh, but the most important thing is that we can can from our data and from what we see when we look at the games, actually can give advice to, to our clubs and coaches what they need to focus on on, on training, uh, kind of outside to to prepare them for the games. Um, but we, we're not really there yet. We need to to go through this whole. Uh, pilot year to, to, to actually see if we can do some more measurements uh, as well to see actually how, how the game format uh, affects the, the, the skating development. But um, I think that's probably the, the only part that we're a little bit worried about. Yeah, and that's something that... I don't know that... if I asked the question. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, the, the skating development is something that, you know, we, we talked with, with Anders Lundberg about in our episode with him. And, um, but kind of thinking more, more and more about practices here, like, you know, you mentioned earlier that the principles of the home field model kind of put the, should be putting the results kind of on second and the development on, on first. So when you think about that, is there any difference between the amount of small area games and practice for like an under 20s player versus an under 10s player you know thinking about the the development um aspect of the game formats where you know from young ages they're playing three on three but then are you also thinking about that in a practice setting and, and how that should relate to the love the amount in each practice for small area games Good question. Um, uh, I think that the ratio between between practice and games uh, is important to, to, to talk about, uh, so that you don't just play games and you need to, to practice a lot more than you play games. Um, and I think what you come up to the in the the, the late teenage and, and our junior level, they, they sometimes play too many games. <laughs> Uh, especially when you're a really, really good player that are uh, ahead in your development. I mean, you play in, in the both the, the under-20 team and the under-18 teams, and, and maybe you play games instead of practice. Uh, so, so that's one take on that question. I mean, you, you need to, to put effort on, on practice. And, and, of course, you need to, to practice on, on small-sided games as well. But But I think that's... One thing that you do already. Um, um, so, um, well, I'm not quite sure what you, if I answer the question correctly right now. <laughs> no, no worries. I think it was, um, it was, it was good. So, kind of moving on, um, we we had a chance to to talk to Heather Manix, and you mentioned your work with Amanda Visek earlier um, about the the idea of fun maps and. She mentioned, you know, being able to work with you guys and and having kind of an M, kind of combining the two of your your new model and the and the fun map. So when you think about the game formats and, and the home field model itself, 
you know, how have they been perceived from the kids? I know that they're, they're rather new um, and, you know, mm. they may not have been exposed to them very much yet, but, you know, do they seem to be having more fun in games now or was it kind of a, is it kind of too early to tell? It's kind of too early to tell. We, we, we hope that and we believe that, um, but we don't know yet. Uh, so, so we, during this pilot year, we, we need to, to uh, talk to the kids. So we need to evaluate the, the game format from, from their perspective and their point of view. So, the, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start now November 14th to, to, to be out there and talk to kids how they feel. Um, but when, when we look at the research behind the home field model, I mean, we're building a lot on, as I said, transformational coaching. Uh, another big platform is the self-determination theory. And then we have the achievement goal theory that, that we put at place, so to speak. And, and those three um, connects very, very well to, to, to the fund maps project that Heather and, and Amanda have been working on. And, and when it comes to, to the kids' uh, experience of, of the game, I mean, we know that, uh, and we've known that for a long, long time, if they are not experienced fun, they're probably more risk of, of quitting than if they experience fun. So if we can get the clubs and the coaches and the parents to understand the, the keys behind uh, the behavior of <laughs> providing fun, uh, they're also going to align very, very well with the, the theoretical frameworks, uh, SDT and, and AGT and the transformational coaching. So, so we, I don't think we, we have to speak a lot about the theories behind if we can focus on the behaviors and if we can ask the kids on how they experience fun. Uh, so, so what we're trying to do right now is together with, with Amanda and, and Jesse Iverson in Sweden at Hamster University, uh, we tried to come up with a, a tool for, for the clubs, uh, probably an app of some kind, where they can ask the, the players uh, about fun. I mean, we, we are right now collecting data from uh, almost 2,000 Swedish players, boys and girls from age 9 to 19, and ask them to, to uh, rank all our 83 different fun determination that we have uh, found out uh, in Sweden uh, and rank them from one to five. And, and then we're going to take the, the most important ones and, and actually ask the children how and, and in which grade they are experience those. Uh, and it's going to be kind of an, an evaluation tool for the clubs towards the, 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 the coaching staff. Uh, and it's going to be an evaluation tools for, for us towards our clubs to see if uh, if they are providing a good enough environment for, for uh, that provides player development. Uh, so that's how we're going to use it, uh, I hope, in, in the long run. Uh, together with, of course, uh, evaluation of the coaching uh, program and the, the club development program as well, because we were doing some, some really, really good things uh, towards coach education, towards club development. But the only thing that matters actually is how the players are affected with those changes. Uh, I mean, we, we, we aren't educated coaches or developing clubs uh, for their own reason. I mean, it's all for the, for the players' best. Uh, so they can be at their best if they want to. Um, so that's why it's important to have a, 
about their experience of the environment. Uh, so that's what we hopefully will have a place in August next year. Unless if you think about any kind of sport, I think the overall arching goal for every sport is that first of all, recruiting players, but then secondly, keeping them in the sport. And do you see the, these games format beneficial in recruiting and keeping young players in the game? Yeah, I hope so. Um, I think especially on the, the, on the girls' side, uh, it's going to be really, really important that you can put up a, a team with, with fewer players uh, that you can, can play in a, a serious structure with, with um, an amount of six or, or nine players. Uh, you don't have to be 15 or 20. Uh, so I think more clubs... I think we will see that more clubs are going to have girl, homogene girl teams with only girls. Uh, but I also think that players are going to stay longer in the, in the game uh, since they're going to experience more fun. Uh, they're going to be more involved in the game and they're going to feel more competent when it comes to ice hockey. Uh, and we know that's an important part of, uh, of staying in the game or having the will to stay in the game. Uh, so I hope when it comes to, to, to the retention numbers, I think we have a positive effect. I'm not sure that on the boys' side that more players are going to start to play. Uh, I think there are other things that guides us when it comes to, to parents uh, taking the first step into to hockey. It's not so much about the game formats uh, but once they are in we need to to make sure that they love it uh, and i think that the game formats will will help us there uh, that more people will have fun actually yeah and anders lundbeck he mentioned in our conversation um, that one of the biggest strength of swedish players is that they their game sense is pretty high exactly. and if we speak about a long-term perspective, how does playing in the appropriate format benefit the player and their development of game sense? Uh, a lot, I think. I think we're going to see that the players are going to be better problem solvers. I think the game sense is going to develop um, to the better. Um, I think that they are going to be better decision makers out there uh, as long as we can, can let them be owners of, of their own decisions and not instruct them too much. Um, uh, that are two, some parts that we talk a lot about in our new coaching education program, um, how to, to make sure that the players are, are involved in the decision-making both on the rink and outside the rink. Um, I mean, we know that's a, a key factor for, for us developing our fantastic defensemen that they are actually been, been taught that they can, can choose uh, how they themselves want to solve uh, problems on the ice. Um, so I, see, I believe that we probably gonna have players that will be better at that uh, from an early age. And hopefully when, we, when you accumulate all the developing years, uh, we will see a, a better game sense at the end of the day as well. Uh, so, so I think yeah, that's going to be the, the 
one big pot. And another big pot is that they got an, at, the, at an early age getting used to have players close to them uh, and, and they're going to be more prepared for, for body contact, uh, which comes natural with the small-sided games. Um, even though if you, you, you are not allowed to body check, I mean, you, you're still going to get used to, to body contact. And, and uh, uh, that's another thing that I think we will probably see, see um, as a benefit uh, when we evaluate this in, in a few years. Uh, hopefully, it also will contribute to, to, uh, to decreasing the, the concussion uh, problems that, that we have in, in, in Swedish hockey. Uh, at least at the, the junior and the elite level, uh, there are too many concussions. Um, so if the players from early age get to get used to, to keeping the head up, be, be prepared for, for a body contact or body check, um, they get a better education um, in that area as well. Yeah, so when we were reading the, the, the study, we, we've read this section about how the game formats benefit the um, the advanced players more, um, more so than, you know, maybe your less skilled players. So can you mention something about that? Because I think like, uh, one thing that I've heard a lot in my, you know, short coaching experience is that smaller games aren't, aren't for the better players because they don't, they don't benefit as much from them. So I was wondering if you could discuss that a little bit. Yeah, from our study, we can see that the better players, uh, they, they can't just take the puck and, and, and run with it uh, all over the, the full rink and score at the other end. And even if they are more skill level, at a better skill level, uh, they, they need to, to make other decisions. They need to pass a puck at, a, at an early, earlier stage than they used to do. Uh, they need to take shots from, from, from different positions. Uh, so, so I think that even though they are um, at a higher skill level, that the, the tighter surface will also uh, help them to, to, to be, as I said, be better problem solvers. They need to, to be quicker at the decisions uh, and they're going to benefit a lot from um, I should say that they're gonna they're gonna meet more uh, a, a bigger variety of, of situations during the game that they do on the on the full uh, full ice when it seems like the best skilled players they, they do the same things over and over again. Um, so that's one thing that I hope that they will have a more variety of, of problems that, that they need to solve. Yeah, definitely, and I think. In Another piece what goes into if I can share a little bit of my own thought is that like that they are still they're still competing against the players who have the same competence level. And let's say a less skilled player competes against his against a player who has the same competence level than him or her, then it is for his or her competence level more difficult to make the appropriate decision at the right time in comparison to a player who is more advanced in mm. this development. And I wanted to ask you one question to playing various positions in, in ice hockey. Um, because you mentioned that example with, with the email we received mm. yeah. from a parent. And because if, if, if players come to us and tell us that, hey, 
I would like to play maybe sometimes forward. Is that possible? What is the balance between that the coach determines which position the players play and listening to your players to unsure various playing experiences? I think from, from early age, I mean, we, we need to be active to make sure that the players uh, will play on all positions uh, so that they can try and, and hopefully see what, what they like best as well. Uh, I mean, it's it's quite normal. It's, maybe it's, it happens too often that they take the, the player that has played hockey the longest, is ahead in his biological development and uh, often also born early at, in, uh, at the year. Uh, and he's going to be at so-called talent. And he's going to be the one who scores all the goals. And so, so of course, he's going to play an, in an offensive role. And those players are not at that skill level. They get a D role, uh, or in worst case, a goalie role. Uh, so, so in order to, to, to get around that, we need to make sure that all the players can rotate more. And so, I think it's it's hard sometimes for, for, for youth coaches out there because, I mean, they're maybe too often aiming to, to develop at the team level. Mm. So, so they let the players play on the positions that are most that are the best for the team's development. Um, but they kind of forget that at the end of the day that our players who will be picked for the national teams, not youth teams. Mm. <laughs> so so I, I, we talked a little bit about that the other day here. That is just how, how can we make sure that our coaches understand that they are actually developed being eaten every individual players and not teams. Um, but since they also look at how it's done at the elite level, they kind of get trapped in team development focus a little bit too much. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. that's the reason why they will decide on which position every player will play on, because yeah. it's going to help them win the games. So Anders, we have uh, just one kind of one final question for you here, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Sure. It's it's something we, we like to ask um, kind of at the end here is what is what is one thing um, from the study or from the home field model that, you know, every coach, parent, player, um, club, what can what can they take away? What's one thing that they can take away and use in their development um, to to improve it? Well, I think that they need to understand that kids and youth ice hockey it's all about having players motivated to 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 stay in the game and you need to to do everything that you can to to make sure that the that your behavior support the the, the self-determination so to speak uh, we need to make sure that they feel competent they feel relatedness and, and autonomy if they if they understand that, uh, they're probably going to understand that you need to be more focused on the, the task more than the result. Um, so, so even though that we don't really educate in this theoretical framework, we we even we need to make sure that they understand how motivation works. Um, and, and connect them that to, to their behavior. 
so that both parents, coaches, uh, club developers or board members um, contribute to, to the the to the players' environment actually, because uh, that's so important. Because if they aren't motivated, they they're gonna quit. And I mean, you start when you're five, maybe, and and then, as I said, we have uh, the last Olympics men's team, uh, an average age at 29.8 years old. I mean, it's a lot of years to stay hockey. So if it's it's not fun, if you're not motivated, you're gonna quit. So that's, I believe, the, the one most the one most important thing uh, to understand uh, and how. And how you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anders, so much for, for joining us today. It was a pleasure talking with you. And, you know, hopefully one day we can we can catch up and talk about the the first year of this this format and and this study and and, and see how it went and, and kind of discuss it from there. So yeah, thanks for joining us today. Um, yeah, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for Anders for taking the time and joining our show. This was a really development oriented um, episode and it's just really great to see what the Swedish Ice Hockey Association is putting together with the home floor model and the uh, game formats. I think it's something very unique and I hope that we are going to see these kind of formats and the home floor model, not only in Sweden, but all over the world in the hockey world. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, starting starting right off strong, Anders, he, he described one of the best things that he's learned recently is is just being humble in his in his own competence. And I, I think that's something that everyone can kind of take into themselves and, and not being afraid to ask for help from experts. You know, that's exactly what the, the Swedish Federation did when they developed their home floor model and their their game formats and you know, it's something that I think every every coach and, and every person should should kind of take into account and realize that, you know, especially working in a team and, and coaching, you're, you're working into, in a team, you want to be around people that, that know what you don't know. And I think that brings everybody up. And, you know, it's something that I think we've really experienced, Rick, and with our show is, you know, just being, asking for people that to help us and just asking for for support and i think it's uh, something that's really powerful um you know i also really liked you know how his his background with the swedish sports federation kind of helps him in his current job with the, the ice hockey association there it, it's something that um it's really cool and he had an idea of what needed to be done in swedish sports overall and then he he brought that in now he's doing that in, in ice hockey so i think that's that's really powerful the home floor model it's it's on the principles that we went through it, it's just it's it's really really great that they're they're implementing this yeah it's as i said it's a very development oriented model and just the first point already that human-centered approach is i think so crucial i think we have been we have been speaking with Aka Vestalund about athlete-centered approach and that mirrors this one perfectly it's that the first job of a coach is always and we have been highlighting this several times on the shows, but 
connect with your athletes as much as possible, speak to them, be kind to them, ask them how they're doing, what do you do after, after practice, what do you do tomorrow, how did you like the game, did you have fun? So many questions. And I think also if you build these human-centered approach over time, you will win trust of the athletes and then you will have a lot of good time with them. And also it's so important that they just trust you because then if they really have something, if they're going through difficult life circumstances, they, they know they can rely on you and that you're going to help them. Yeah, for sure. And I think that he highlighted it really well when, when he said that, you know, there's too much focus about the, the hockey player and there needs to be more of a broader picture to, to see the whole person. And I think that's, that's a really good way to describe it. And, and you need to realize that, you know, you're, you're, hockey players they're, they're more than that they're and i think it's it's been said in our show before they're just they're just humans that happen to play hockey and i think that that's a, a really unique perspective for an entire association to take and, you know moving on to the next principle give everyone a chance to develop and and you know it's something you hear a lot in the u.s but you know not winning the race to the wrong finish line you know taking your time it's it's a it's a marathon and it's not a sprint um development needs to come first and that's exactly what i think they're doing with with the implementation of the game formats and and their whole home floor model i think it's really putting development at the focus of their of their young players yeah i think the biggest question every coach should ask him or herself is that can a player develop if he or she is sitting on the bench i think that's the most crucial question everyone should ask and if it's it's not a problem if it's happen of course it's not very nice but what uh how do you learn from it are you going to do it again or are you going to move forward and reflect on it critically and tell yourself hey maybe this is not the way how i want to coach how we want to coach as an organization and this is not the way how we are going to develop players because we need to think about also from that perspective at some point there is they will grow up every player will grow up and at some point they might it's going to play on the professional level. It doesn't. It doesn't meet. It doesn't need, need to be on the highest competitive level. But they maybe play in the senior level, and then it's they will have a much more enjoyable experience and it's experience playing on the senior level if they had the opportunity to de develop through their entire childhood. That's what I believe in personally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think you know, talking about the the appropriate settings there too, you know, it's not, and that was the the third principle of the home floor model, but you know, they're not many adults, they're not professional athletes, they're not professional players. So you need to, you need to realize that. And you need to realize that even, you know, at U16, U18, U20, you know, that's not their end goal for most of those players. They want to be, they want to be playing at a high level and being paid to play. So that development still needs to be in a, in a focus for those levels as well. And I think, you know, it's, it was really interesting the way that he put it um, under this principle where the players, you know, they should be trying to win. They should be competing. They should be doing their best and, and performing at their best, but the coaches, they should have a, a different focus. And I think that was a really interesting way to put it and more of a, a more of a development focus, like we've said multiple times. And then, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting and really great that they, they, they put this into their model of a, a variety of training, you know, encouraging multiple sports, but then also taking into account those that, that don't want to play multiple sports and 
providing them still a variety within their hockey training uh, for the ice hockey specializers and, and still providing them enough variety to, to become athletes first. Yeah, I think that is something we should definitely focus a lot on playing multiple, multiple, multiple sports, doing a lot of coordination things off the, off the ice, doing gymnastics or whatever, just that they, that they really have the opportunity to develop their motor skills. And I think it's, it's definitely, you can see it also at some point in the game that these skills, they will transfer from off the ice to on the ice from different kinds of sports. And as we have been discussing with Juha Bore in our episode about game situation roles and objectives of invasion games, these principles, the same principles we are using in handball, they totally apply in, in ice hockey as well. So we should not forget, it doesn't matter what we do off the ice, we always have the opportunity to teach and all these kind of skills, they can be developed in multiple ways. And we should do that definitely from a young age on and really encouraging the kids or at least offering the opportunity that if they want to play different kind of things that we provide them a platform where they actually can do it. And if they if, if they are like you said as well already, if they if they are if they're more passionate about playing hockey, but then we as hockey coaches, we should ensure that they actually have the opportunity to play these different kinds of sports and that they have the opportunity to develop diff different motor skills because at the end of the day, this is uh, very necessary to do for everyone from a coaching perspective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's something that I think we, like you've mentioned, you know, it's just encourage, encourage, encourage when it comes to that and, and really providing those opportunities, you know, um, I think that's the, the biggest thing. And, you know, moving into the, the game formats themselves, it was uh, really interesting. I, I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, but, you know, they, they wanted to stop guessing what was right for the kids and actually find out through studies and research what was the most effective size and orientation of the rink for their young athletes to compete in and i think you know not a lot of people would would expect it or or even want it to go down to one sixth of the ice like like they're doing in sweden but you know it just shows that when you when you find the best through studies you, you really know and you can really use that information to to back up your decision and and, you know, it's, it's still going to be implemented this year in some trial districts, I would say. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and what the reaction is. But, you know, it should be, it should be positive in my mind. Yeah, definitely. It should be 100 positive. And it does mean that no one wants to get rid of five against five. But what are the, we need to ask ourselves, what are the appropriate, age appropriate steps each player needs to take in order to play at some point five against five? Because as the study shows, they're having much more puck touches, they're having much more shots, they're making much more turns. And these skills, they are learning there, they are crying there. They also transfer to the real game. Also, we need to, I think we have been mentioning this before, we also need to think about this, that playing on a smaller surface, there's less time and space as everyone knows, but then at some point, if you play at the bigger surface, the bigger surface, you may feel that you have a lot of time of space because doing a youth, you have been playing so much small-sided games and age-appropriate small-sided games. I think that's the that's the relevant part. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. And really making sure that it, it fits what the athletes need at that time and, and that age. And, you know, I think if I can mention this one last thing here, I think it was really powerful. Uh, the, the quote he said when they're going to be spreading this message about their, their changes they're making, you know, it's, if, if we miss on the why it's going to seem crazy. And I think that's really powerful for, for every coach. You know, if you, if you can't back it up, if you can't explain why you're doing something this way or that way, then it, it might seem crazy. And I think it's, it's really powerful that they, they now have the information and the, the science behind them. And I think that's going to be really helpful. Um, and, and hopefully they can really communicate that why. And everyone who has been listening to this episode and is still listening, um, we would encourage you have a look at the Swedish Ice Hockey Association homepage. Um, you can go to Google Chrome. Everything is translated and the game formats are there and the home floor model is there. It's very good English. And I think everyone will be very excited what kind of powerful tool it actually is. Yeah, for sure. Google Chrome does some, some great translating. I can speak from an English speaker's perspective there. But yeah, I think that's uh, enough for this episode. So thank you everybody for, for listening. Um, you can connect with Anders Wallstrom on, on Twitter. His information will be in the show notes and, and we'll tag him on Twitter as well. And don't forget to connect with the show at The Coach's Road on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And always send us an email with any recommendations or feedback or thoughts about the episodes uh, our email is thecoachesroad at gmail.com we released some new updates for the show as well so make sure you check those out thecoachesroad.com as well as our new google drive with all of the recommendations from from our previous guests uh, including some recommendations from Anders this week so Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week with our episode with Lara Andelin talking about psychological safety.